Hey, welcome back to the Real World Podcast. Enter the real world.com. My name is Matt Waters. I have been hosting so many podcasts on this now. I think we went past the 50 mark and I forgot to celebrate it. But hey, I am joined as sometimes by Mike Thomas. Mike, we are recording this rarely in the morning for you. So how are you sprightly? Have you done your morning yoga? You know, I've done my morning routine. Okay. And I'm, uh, I'm ready to go. It does feel a bit early. It, it does not feel normal recording hours whatsoever. But then again, you kind of get screwed over on that every single time. I do. So, I, I kind of do. Although, I mean, I would be working right now normally, but I have finished uh, for the holiday break. More significant is that this is the second time within a week you and I are recording, which given the last four months is pretty remarkable. <laughs> yes, it is, because we recently reviewed Star Wars The Last Jedi, which you can check out online. It is a lengthy podcast episode that I got down from two hours to about an hour and 35 or something. But yes, listen to that. Also check out articles from Jerome Cusson and Mike Thomas. And maybe by the time you hear this, my one that I'm scared to publish because it's kind of obnoxious. But yes, there's a lot of Star Wars content on EnterTheRealWorld.com. If there's one thing we are known for, it's that we are rarely scared to be obnoxious. So I That's think true, but I don't that. think I've ever been obnoxious like this before. But anyway, it's it's our Christmas episode. So Mike and I are obviously wearing uh, Santa hats. And I'm wearing my uh, That's proof. Harry, Harry Potter ugly Christmas sweatshirt. Nice. Not sweater, because <laughs> I'm, I'm not bougie. I can't afford a sweater. But I can't afford a little pressed-on... Uh, Sweatshirt. Nice. It's quite cute. Nice. And it's reason for celebration because I just learned I'm going to go see Hamilton next Friday. So, woo, go me. Wait, are you in America next week or is Hamilton in England? It's in England now. It opened recently. Okay. I'm not sure. Yeah, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then again, I did that to you six months ago. So, this is true. One day we'll record a podcast in the same room. But for now, we're doing Christmas from across the Atlantic. And uh, because we are not conventional sorts, we have picked each a non-conventional Christmas film. Uh, I have picked Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mike has gone for Carol. Two very different kinds of films, both set at Christmas, but not really about Christmas. But hey-ho, what were we going to do? Well, Die Hard's not about Christmas either, and that's everyone's favorite Christmas film. So. It is, it is. I Mike, really Mike hope... doesn't approve of that opinion. <laughs> I really hope everyone uh, enjoyed our opening theme which was just Michael Scott repeatedly screaming, A Christmas Carol, when he's referring to his girlfriend, Carol. Ah. Yes. Yes, Matt. Matt now Matt, now Matt, I have to go and make that happen. committed you to doing that. Thanks. Thank you. You've been a wonderful co-host with me for the last year. Thank you for that Christmas present of that homework. After <laughs> you already sent me the homework of reading not one but two articles about Carol, one written by you, which you can check out on Enter the Real World, and I will put in the show notes of this episode on the website. You should read it. it it's makes, good. If it makes you feel better, I forgot to read it. Just send you the third one. Well, I look forward to like post-show breakdown reading, and I'll uh, I'll present my pitch on that next time. Right, so let's do Kiss Kiss Bang Bang first because it is a less serious thing to talk about. Uh, I have always loved this movie. I had never heard of it, and back in the days when I used to just go down to the local uh, cinema theater uh, to watch anything that was on. I saw this, and I loved it, and I've always loved it. Uh, It is directed and written by Shane Black, who famously wrote Lethal Weapon and some stuff with Predator. Iron Man 3. And Iron Man 3, which will be covered in Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey, a podcast about the MCU coming to Into the Real World soon. Look at me plug everything. Uh, Yeah, so he 
he made uh, I think it's the Long Kiss Goodnight, and it's it's it didn't do well, and he wanted to stop doing action movies, so he tried to write a rom com set in L.A. and Basically, his sensibilities led him back this way. He grew up loving sort of pulpy detective fiction, so that got heavily put into it. And uh, we ended up with this film, which is about a small-time thief played by Robert Downey Jr., called Harry. He accidentally, while fleeing the police, walks into a movie audition and nails it because he's distressed that his partner just got shot. He gets flown out to LA to screen test for the role of a detective, and uh, he meets... This character, Gay Perry, played by Val Kilmer, uh, who will be giving him detective lessons. He also meets, by coincidence, uh, his childhood crush, Harmony, played by Michelle Monaghan. And she mistakenly thinks he's a real detective and hires him to investigate the mysterious death of her sister. And his business with Perry and the stuff with Harmony's sister end up intermingling and it all turns into a giant conspiracy and yeah. That, that's the film. I love it. I wish there were far more detective-based films that existed in, in modern cinema. Uh, this one feels very sort of throwbacky. I think they're trying to invoke some, I don't know if it's 40s, but maybe 50s and 60s style detective-y stuff. Uh, it's, it's very tongue-in-cheek with the genre. And because it's Shane Black, it's black comedy, and it's got narration, and it's uh, Christmas. It's, it's like many of his films. <laughs> Uh, and I love it. I love it a lot. Mike, what was your sort of experience with this? I assume you'd seen it before. Yeah, I saw it, um, what was it, my uh, my JA, my first year of college, like, lent me his, like, blue like copy of it. And I watched it on the bus ride home, and I really loved it then. Uh, and I've probably seen it a couple times since. It's it's interesting. It's fun. It, it's one, it comes at a very interesting point in a lot of these actors' careers. Yes. Um, <laughs> This was in this like three-year stretch where Robert Downey Jr. is making some very smaller pictures because he is just gotten sober after a very tumultuous personal stretch. Been in prison for six months. No, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, and it comes before Iron Man, which obviously turned him into one of the biggest stars. This, in, this, uh, this the got world. him the role in Iron Man. John Favreau saw this film and had to have him as Tony Stark. And, um, you know, what I like about this is that, for me, this was pretty much my first exposure to Robert Downey Jr. So it does, and I enjoy Robert Downey Jr., uh, so I, I have a fondness for this film just for that reason. Yeah. It, it's interesting, though, it did make me somewhat cynical about him as Tony Stark in the sense that when people really reacted to it, I'm just like, you know, he's done this before, right? Like, this is this is Yeah, this is very like, much a trial run for... For Tony, like I, it's not the same character because obviously Tony is rich and famous and everything. But the kind of smart assy quips and the sort of very yeah. rapid talking and everything—it's all right here. Yeah, and uh, I'm guessing if we go back further, you can find more examples of it. But it's it's kind of an interesting stretch of his career. He's taking he's kind of forced to do weirder things. Like if you, the Singing Detective is a really fucking weird movie. Yeah. Zodiac, I think. For, around this time zodiac comes out about two years later and that again it's it's a year before iron man it's very much in the same type of character in terms of you know robert Downey jr just he has a persona and he plays that persona in a lot of movies and uh so this was kind of what introduced me to that persona yeah and uh like as i said as a result it made me a little cynical about iron man 
Yeah. Um, you know, we've argued about Iron Man a lot over the years. We have, and I, I trust you will listen to all three Iron Man episodes of my podcast so that you can really think about it and, and reflect and, and give your feedback. Yes. Yes. That will definitely happen. You lie uh, on the Christmas episode. <laughs> um, you just made baby Jesus cry with your lies. Anyway. Yeah, this is, if you too want to be cynical about the Robert Downey Jr. persona, go back and watch this film and see how he's just been doing it over and over again. <laughs> but now, um, you know, he, he's he's very much fun and we'll get into his characterization in a bit yeah but uh, i want to get to the other two main characters here our uh, performers here val kilmer you know val kilmer is a very talented performer yes he i i mean his, he has a reputation in hollywood i don't know whether it's deserved or not clearly but you know he's clearly not endeared himself to a lot of decision makers in hollywood and as a result his career has been not I, what it could have been. I was going to say, has he made anything good since this? I don't know of anything off the top of my head. I mean, there's, I, a, there's uh, a list of movies, but I, of the ones I know of, I don't think there's high praise for them. Yeah. You know, he just has doesn't get to get good roles or good movies, and I don't know how much of that is legitimate, like how much of that is truly deserved based on how he's behaved, or how much of that is just purely based on reputation or choices, whatever it is. But... If you want to go and see how much charisma Val Kilmer has and how much he just really pops off the fucking screen, go back and watch this movie. Yeah. And then finally, uh, Michelle uh, Moynihan, not Monaghan, as I've apparently been saying it correctly all these years. You know, once again, she is really talented. She is really a, a charismatic performer. Her career has really dropped off in the last few years mm. um, as well as she's getting fewer and fewer roles. But again... If you want to see how funny and charming of a performer she is, this is really a good thing to go back to. And I think that's kind of sums up what I think is the biggest strength of this movie is that the three of them are super duper fucking charming. Yes. And you can't help but want to watch them and watch more of them. And it's it's a shame that only one of them <laughs> gets to do this for on the regular for loads and loads of money. So the story's kind of I think the story's somewhat superfluous. They have Robert Downey Jr. playing. Uh, an all-knowing narrator who's also comment like who's you know making meta comments they they acknowledge that there is an audience in the movie theater watching this movie yeah and they know like they know like they know they're telling a story with like yeah 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 yeah. it's a bit trite some of it can be funny and then some of it swings the other way of like yeah you yeah. put this in a first draft but then as soon as anyone watched it back they go well now we'll take yeah. this out like like don't pick at that it's only gonna get worse stuff like that it's like well you could have lost that yeah i think that like like you said that concept works sometimes it doesn't work sometimes it's not the end of the world but it's it's not as clever as the film think it is the actual story is kind of ridiculous but in the great tradition of these movies that's kind of appropriate um have you ever seen the big sleep with humphrey Humphrey bogart yeah that movie becomes indecipherable uh, like halfway through and you have no idea how we've ended up where we are, why we're talking to these people anymore. I mean, like it's fun because Bogart's pretty fun, yeah. but you don't understand why anything's happening anymore. No. And if you aren't like taking notes on this movie, that can kind of happen to you at yeah. a couple of different points. I do think um, it's actually genuinely quite a clever plot, but, like the way it weaves together and not, it's, it's not quite Deus Ex Machina, but... I'm not saying it's bad, it's more just like, you know, like, I think this style of, of mystery thriller is not something I would want to see a, a ton of. No, <laughs> so, but I do wish that and, uh, Yes, but that we're not trying to be quite as clever. 
No, yeah, I mean, I think Roger Ebert, when he reviewed this, he said something to the effect of they probably should have played this straighter and stopped, like, mugging to the camera because they had such interesting characters, and I do agree with that. Yeah, Um, and that, let's try to get to, I think what is by far, really, probably my only issue with this movie is the gender and sexuality politics of it. I, I mean, I've seen this a lot. I haven't seen it in a few years, and I... I assume we're talking about the exact same main offender, but Harry's little rant in the middle of the movie about women that have slept with lots of men, oh, yeah. I was like, oh my god, I didn't, yeah. I forgot this was in here. And it's yeah. a great big uh, black mark against this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I often don't like to speculate about the motivations of the people creating these artifacts. I find it stupid. <laughs> But, like, Shane Black comes across as, like, this angry virgin in this movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> writer in this movie. It's like, yeah. oh, you're sleeping with him, but he's so uncool. Why aren't you sleeping with me? Yeah. Oh, uh, you slept with my best friend? Oh, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, right? How dare you have any sexual agency? And one, by the way, also, it's Robert Downey Jr. is an odd choice for the everyman who's not getting laid. <laughs> that's, a, that's a weird <laughs> thing for him to play. I know well, it's a different time period. I saying he doesn't get laid. It's just he couldn't get laid with her <sighs> when he was young. Because he makes mention yeah. that, you know, he was married and this, that, and the other. Yeah, but I mean, like, I'm not saying literally never laid. Yeah. I'm saying, like, <laughs> as the person who isn't getting enough that he feels the need to, <laughs> yeah. to act this way. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's... I, I think, that, and it's not so much that it was obviously. I think the response would be, it "Was like, well, this is a reality. Some people really feel this way." It's like, yes, but the way it's positioned in here is kind of like a legitimate criticism. Yeah, and it's like, well, it's the fact Dunn- that he says, "If you look into the past of a guy that's like with a hundred girls, pretty normal, normal dude." When it's a woman, oh, she's there's trauma there. She's a freak show. And it's like, all right, yeah. dude, calm the fuck down. And and then he actually like has they actually have the nerve to write a scene where Robert Downey Jr. mansplains sexual assault to Michelle Monaghan, or Monaghan. And just like, oh, so if I just grabbed your tip, which I didn't, it wouldn't be that big of a deal? Oh, What's the matter with you? (laughs) Have some self-respect, my lady. Have some self-respect. And it doesn't, like, pop up a ton, but when it does, it's bad. It's really bad. And I think that little rant in the middle makes it infinitely worse. Like, if you remove that and the rest of it's in there, it's, like, mm, somewhat problematic, but not, like, atrocious. It's, like, I complain about it and nobody else does. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) But, I mean, that that rant... (laughs) See my Star Wars Last Jedi review. I do like the way he... You could lump this in with that, but the utter mockery of, like, Los Angeles, I think, is what he's going for with, like, the names of some of the women and the interactions between Harry and these women. Like, a girl called Flicker and stuff like this. And, like, I don't know, he, he does he meet her and then she immediately walks off? He's like, is that it? Yep, yeah, okay. And I think that was meant to be a giant lampoon at, like, the ridiculousness of Los Angeles. Um, yes. But you can quite easily connect dots between one and the other and and say it's again Shane Black being annoyed about girls in LA because they won't sleep with him or something. Yeah and I'm not saying like that's actually I'm just saying that's how it comes across. And And that's uh, why you don't be problematic because you don't make it easy for people to connect dots. You know it's very clumsy stuff. Yeah. I I think because they present it as legitimate criticism and not like Harry being an asshole. Yeah. Like it's it's more of a problem because of that. Like it's not like if you had a character who was saying these things, but like that person was clearly being an asshole and mm. you know not someone we're supposed to empathize with. It's less of an issue. Mm. And then we, well, again, the, the the sexuality politics with 
the character called Gay Perry, which, you know, is its own can of worms. The way that it's... Well, one, they very much otherize Perry in this movie. One, just by calling him Gay Perry. I mean, that's literally defining someone by their sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, when their sexuality is not the heteronormative accepted one. But even, like, the weird, like, gay panic that Robert Downey Jr. has throughout it, um, <laughs> it definitely captures more of a time uh, I mean it definitely captures that time period when it was written more as like socially acceptable to be that fear fearful of gayness and, but then like the way they try to turn it into a moment where he doesn't mind giving him mouth to mouth at the end like clearly designed to be like oh look how look how Robert Downey Jr. really cares about this man he's willing to kiss a gay man I didn't get- read it that way at all but okay ah <laughs> uh, I think based on how uncomfortable Robert Downey Jr. is when Val Kilmer is meaninglessly kissing him to avoid police capture when they have a dead body in their car. Sure. To how I do it later, I don't think I don't think it's a coin. I don't think it's by accident. I mean, it's like not that. like a drawn out moment with like a huge like orchestra. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not saying they call a huge attention to it and make okay. it this big moment for him, but I think it's there mm. and it's not to be ignored. But just in general, I think. The way that it find him so much by his sexuality yeah. is less than ideal. I think it is very much, you know, it was written when it was. Yeah. And it, it's an era sort of in between openly being, like, homophobic and horrific and starting to say, hey, let's stop doing this. And it's, you know, yeah. it is an unfortunate time capsule of this of this time. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, I, I feel Shane Black had good intentions when he wrote it, because he, he, he says, like, he wanted a gay character that was, like, an ass-kicker kind of thing. Like, he, like, Gay Perry is, like, the most physically capable person in this film. Well, actually, yeah. Harry has a lot of, like, dumb luck moments, which I actually kind of like. But, you know, he's, like, he's take charge, and he's, like, calling Harry a dumbass, and, like, he's physically a presence and everything it rejects a lot of stereotypes for sure yes and uh but you know it was written in a time period where it was socially acceptable to say oh that's so gay as an insult and uh you can see that at points yes Uh, that's also reflected in there but um you know this is not the one interesting film film. to pair with carol in an episode (laughs) yes this all worked out Um, well (laughs) no we did it on purpose obviously as always but yeah it's not ideal but uh you know at least contextualize about when it was released and yeah. explain a lot, a lot of it. Yeah. But yeah, it's um, this is a fun movie. Yeah. It's a very fun movie. I really like um, the. I sort of mentioned it, Harry's dumb luck, but throughout the film there are a lot of like very weird, not quite real problems, but things that you don't normally see presented in fiction. And it's like, well, I could like he pisses on the corpse by accident because he yes. he's peeing while and then he turns and sees it. And it's just like it's such a weirdly like. <laughs> unglamorous thing to happen and Harry accidentally shooting the body while trying to get her out of uh, the trunk of the car and little things like that and Harry like trying to play Russian roulette with the guy and immediately killing him like I like all those small bits and even like his yeah. finger getting cut off like, I yeah. like that about it it's like a bit dithery because I, I think they yeah. said they were trying to essentially make a kind of playful throwback movie but with more modern characters in it and I think that's where you get that yeah, it's um, the, all those beats are pretty funny, and they all pretty much work. That does remind me of a scene that, or a character in this, or quote unquote character, um, Shannon Sossaman's in this movie. Yes, whose child is named Audio Science Sossaman, which is unbelievable. Carry on. Which is a, that's a problem. It's she has such a nothing role here. Yeah. It's uh, 
you know, I think, I mean, I'm not saying like she's like this amazing actress or anything like that, but she's talented and, you know, obviously beautiful. Like, it's just kind of weird that her career never took off in any way. Mm. But um, anyway, yeah, any other um, final thoughts on our first Christmas film? <laughs> no, just, I I love little films like this. Like, obviously, it's a little bit too smart-assy at times, but it's it's very quick, it's very witty, it's very quotable, and you've got three good to great performances uh, from actors here, from Robert Downey Jr., Val Kilmer, and Michelle Monaghan. Uh, and I, I just like to throw this on like every couple of years and just have a nice time watching this, what I think is quite a clever film. It's, it's you know, it, it's not like, you know, in the way that Carol is like socially important and everything, I'm never going to try and claim it can compete with it there, but uh, this, this will forever be in my sort of personal top ten. Uh, little films to watch so and it's set at christmas so it works for this episode uh, you mention the christmas aspect a lot like there, it's like there's no such thing as a christmas film it's just like doesn't yeah. happen to take place at christmas that's true i and shane black is clearly he likes using christmas i think uh lethal weapon and iron man 3 and this and there may even be something else that's set at christmas uh and he likes to use it as a backdrop because he says there's just something about it it kind of twists situations a bit by being in the background as opposed to the focus and uh, I think both of these films exhibit that where it's you know it's not the focus but it does sort of give it a certain different something yeah all right so Carol a very uh, well-regarded film in comparison to the uh, sort of lesser known Kiss Kiss Bang Bang we got Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara we got Sarah Paulson we have the amazing Kyle Chandler uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, basically every time his name comes up, I just gush. And uh, yeah, here he is again, doing good stuff, as written by Mike Thomas on EnterTheRealWorld.com. It will be in the show notes. So Carol is set in the 50s, and uh, it is, in its simplest terms, about two women who, who meet and clearly have an attraction for each other. Uh, one of them is is married to Carl Chandler and uh, is in the midst of a divorce, and she goes away with uh, this younger woman, Therese, played by uh, Rooney Mara, and they falling in love with each other, but, you know, it's it's the times of open uh, homophobia, and uh, Kachana essentially says he will use her lifestyle choices as reason to take their daughter away from her in divorce proceedings. It, it's, you know, it's very much a period piece, like, it, it's great. It's like beautifully shot by Todd Haynes. Yeah. Phenomenally well shot. And you got two, again, in- incredible performances uh, of a different kind. Three. Of... three incredible. you say three? I, I said two, but I, I was mainly meaning like the lead two, but obviously there are coach. more. Yes, Coach is great. Uh, Sarah Paulson, we'll talk about it later. Let's let's just get started. Uh, I yeah, I greatly enjoyed it. It's 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 a thinker. It's a heavy film. <laughs> it's not uh, as breezy viewing as Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but that's good. And uh, yeah, Mike, let's let's talk about this because obviously yeah, this film had a big impact on you as as you wrote many words about it and uh, have linked me to many words written by other people about it. And uh, yeah, here is your platform. Let's talk about Carol. Well, first off, it, it does take place at Christmas, in case anyone was wondering. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. um, she's, she's trying to buy her daughter a Christmas present at the beginning. Yeah, that's how they meet. I think this is just kind of like one of the more beautifully acted films in quite a while. And I think what's interesting about it is ones that, yes, like Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara are kind of being punished socially mm-hmm. for being queer in this time period. But it kind of ends on this very unique note that is not often seen 
Yes. In queer stories and film, where oftentimes the ending is tragic. Mm-hmm. Like it's like that is kind of is almost cliche at this point for uh, a queer movie to end in that way, or a queer story to end in that way. Yeah. And here is kind of like this most. It's beautiful, and it, it, it's not saying there's no tragic in it, tragic elements in it. But it's hopeful. beautiful. Yes, beautiful, haunting, hope, and but hopeful ending where Kate Blanchett in the middle of her divorce proceeding just says, fine, take my daughter because if I am not, if I can't be who I am, then what use have I am to her? I, I just remember being in the theater two years ago and just being like, wow. Yeah. Just wow. Yeah. So I'd never seen an ending like it before. It was like what kind of like a, a brave both choice as a as a person and what a brave storytelling choice that was because that's clearly it, it messes with your expectations at least my expectations what have i expected from an ending here oh absolutely i would think the if you were watching this and you didn't know what happened the obvious ending would be like she gets the child but she's forever like living this lie and there's like lingering yeah. glances of like we can never be together and it does. or like kyle chandler takes her away like against her will or yeah, something like that, something like that. And like she slowly goes crazy from not having her daughter, mm-hmm. but instead it's it is making a choice in that moment that can't be con- characterized as anything other than brave. Yeah. Um, and that scene uh, where she the the final sort of lit- court litigation negotiation whatever scene is so well done. And like with a worse writer with a worse actress in that role, that could have come across really badly. But yeah. they absolutely nailed it. I thought. Like, when she says, like, if we go to court, it's going to get ugly. And we're not ugly people. Like, yes. it's just so... And I think... It, yeah, I think it is really important to note that, like, throughout this, she's never, like... I mean, occasionally she says unkind things to Hodge, but generally she, it's not, like, a vicious thing as much no. as it's just, like, look, I care for you, but this is how this is. Yeah. You know, and I think that really hard really represents a lot of the nuance of the story in a way, as as I wrote about. It's yes. clearly the story about two uh, you know lesbians being torn apart uh, or having difficult times in the fifties was really about the man all along. Of course, but, uh, as is everything all the time. But um, <laughs> but really, uh, I mean, Coach just delivers just an incredible performance mm-hmm. in a relatively small role, not yeah. on the screen time, not, as, is, but... as is befitting. But um, given the story, yes. But you know, it, it could have so easily been a, a cliche performance, a cliche role. Yeah, where he's and just I a purely it, hated villainous character. Yeah. yeah, and that was the direction I was kind of expecting. Mm-hmm. But really, just he's human, and yeah. he has no idea what he's doing, no. how to handle a situation. He's been completely failed by society. He has been. Th- this is messing with his entire accepted worldview that has been forced upon him by society yeah and uh he has no idea what to do yeah. and it's uh and you can see it you know, on his like, face in that in that little scene near the end where he he doesn't look like angry or anything he just looks like a pitiful confused yeah. man like he's like oh, i don't know i didn't expect it to go this way <laughs> like yeah he either wanted the angry but triumphant victory of getting the daughter against her will or he wanted her to reluctantly come back to him, and instead he gets this, and he's like, oh. And it's, it's so well played. Yeah, and it's, um, like I said, I think it really represents the nuance of the story so well. 
I mean, Blanchett, I mean, what can we say at this point? Um, she's a her... pretty good actress, I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> she's got a decent rep. P good. Uh, yes. <laughs> and it was interesting. I remember watching this thinking, like, oh, so this is actually, like, a Rooney Mara story. Like, Kate Blanchett is kind of coasting a little bit here. Mm. At one point, that very much... I wouldn't say switches because I would disregard uh, Rudy Myers' work, but Cape yeah. Blanchett just becomes like unbelievable in this movie. Yeah. In the first half, I was more impressed with Rudy Myers. Yeah, uh, but that ending. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a beautiful story, and it, obviously, also part of the hopeful note is that it ends with you know, like them looking at each other in a restaurant, and you know, you don't know it's going to work out well. There's obviously a huge age gap, yeah. which is you know interpersonally usually an issue at the end of the day yeah but um and obviously her her relationship with abby we don't know what happened there but that didn't you know work out for whatever reason yeah. so there's no guarantees here but but there's more just, so much in not saying it you know <laughs> yeah and and really though the ending is kind of just like we actually have control that is what's been taken away from them yeah. for so long and that's kind of what they take back a little bit at the end there and um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I know, like, it sounds like a heavy movie, but it's really worth seeing. It's really compelling. I think pretty much all the way through. Yeah, it's fun. Um, like, I mean, for you, all the heavy. Talk about Sarah Paulson, you mentioned. Uh... Yeah. So I love Sarah Paulson because who wouldn't? She is a really, really good actress who should have many, many more roles than she does. It's just something about her character in this. Like, I don't have many criticisms of this film because. It's pretty simple and, like, you know immediately if you like it or not. But I kind of wish she was either in it a lot more or a lot less. (laughs) Wherein I found her character kind of distracting because I found myself wanting to know about what happened with Carol and Abby. And how they still... I mean, unless I read it wrong, they still live together or something. Or in this giant house... And yet they... No, she doesn't. She doesn't live there. Oh, okay. It's just she was around so much. I kind of had this assumption that she lived with the uh, with Carol, even though they were... I don't know. It was just something about it where I felt there needed to be a line of dialogue somewhere to kind of address their relationship, where they're still clearly very close, and Abby is, you know, willing to go get Therese for Carol uh, when Carol flies back in the middle of the night. But there does seem to be this kind of edge where Abby has maybe a tiny bit of hostility towards Carol. I don't know. It was just, it distracted me a bit and that that may not be the case for everyone, but I do wish there was either that little bit more or like she didn't have to, she didn't have to have been Carol's ex, you know? I don't know. It just, like they could have made reference to a woman from before and then Sarah Paulson just happens to be playing her best friend or so. I don't know. It's interesting that you bring that up because I did forget you, I did forget to send you the article on that character. Uh yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't read until this morning. I thought it would be too late. Right. Well, one, they did leave a couple scenes out. And it sounds like the scenes were that probably hinted more at jealousy from Sarah Paulson's part. Yes. Uh, so... I can see the argument of taking them out because you don't want to take away from the main focus of the story. Yeah. yeah. And then you get into that whole idea where, like, even these women are in competition with each other. <laughs> like, <you> know, yes. <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> And, like, I don't think that's a note that needed to be played. Like, it's somewhat hinted at here. Like, she kind of looks at Therese a little. And there, there's, like, hints of her yeah. being unhappy that Carol is with a woman that is not her. But it's mm-hmm. not overplayed or anything like no. that. And I think, you know, the point of this article was, and it was a perspective I had never considered, which is that 
it's kind of beautiful that like Carol's friend like is just there for her and uh, there's just like this understood like I'm going to be there for you no matter like no matter what our past has been like I'm there for you yeah anything and where it, like it, women are just being friends uh, in film or television I am in favor of <laughs> yes you know this film does pass the best test, so you know it's obviously very feminist um, but, <laughs> and I think I, I think her character does add something to the history of Carol as a person Yes, and I think their friendship now is quite sweet as it is. Mm-hmm. I I probably would have leaned to I want more from her, not less. Yeah, but there is something a bit awkward about how much she's in the movie. Yeah. I'll say I'll definitely agree with that. Yeah. Like it almost does feel like it's in this weird period where yeah. it either did need to be less or more, and I yeah. just would have opted for more. Yeah, very beautiful film. Like all the props, all the costumes, the the vehicles, everything is so. I mean, obviously, I didn't live in America in the 50s, but from things I have seen... Spoiler, near did I? Oh, man, I thought you were secretly super old. It it looks authentic, and I think it things like this, it, it's great because obviously we are far from, quote-unquote, solving uh, homophobia, etc. But when you see something like this where the, the sort of... the level of um, stigma against... Uh, both of them, from uh, Jake Lacey and Carl Chandler and... The How has l- the idiot from season 9 of The Office just got <laughs> so many roles? I, I don't understand it. I was like, yeah, he's in uh, something other than The Office that came in in between that gave him this break, right? No, he just went from The Office to all these movies. Yeah, just the way that these two women are treated, the, the way that uh, Jake Lacey's character talks about gay men yeah. when she's questioning him about it, it seems absurd now because it's so openly like talked about and like talking about Carol as if she would need to be put in like a like she needs therapy or something because because she is attracted yeah. to women, and it seems absurd now. And I think that's a great note to play by looking at a time where you know it does seem more absurd because you can then because you know if you're an idiot you can go ah well everything's better now or if you're like an intelligent person you can sort of see how. By making it so absurdly, not exaggerated, but using such an extreme example like this, you can say, you can look at how things are now and and sort of think on your behavior a bit. Yeah. And it kind of, um, I think it kind of transitions to a a film that came out this year very well, uh, Call Me By Your Name, in that, again, it kind of, I mean, that takes place in the early 80s and it, it, you know, it details a, you know, a queer relationship and it's, I don't know. I think it's they're a really good pair of films to watch together, yeah. um, if you can get out because yeah. it's just there's an evolution in how we're telling stories now about yeah. queer people that is good. Yeah. It is good. And I also think yeah. it's important because, in some ways, <laughs> there's like this notion that like lesbians were invented in the '90s or something, and like you know there were some gay men. Uh, there was very hush hush and all that in previous decades, but like women being attracted to women oh no this this didn't happen in the 50s and and times like that and of course it did like the author of the book like it's semi i I think uh, the therese character is somewhat based on herself uh and it's just it's good to see things like this you know where it's not like uh, i I don't want to get too much into this area of discussion but just you know there is this idea that like lesbians didn't exist before a certain time or something but yeah, it's a uh, it's a, another lovely Christmas film. Yeah, everyone should see. It. It's on Netflix in America. I can't 
It is it not to... over here, but ah, tragic. Very, very uh, light Christmas viewing. You should definitely watch with your family. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll just gather everyone by the the fire. Yeah, and just uh, a certain way in, just go excuse yourself, make a cup of coffee or something, and come back yeah. like two minutes later, and everything will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think this is a good 9 a.m. Christmas movie. <laughs> you know, you're opening gifts, and, you know, just have yourselves a big bowl of Carol. Yeah. But seriously, and great also film. go, lol, look, it's it's the Riddler from Gotham. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was really glad, oh, and a garbage truck is driving by, making lots of noise. I was really glad to have an excuse to rewatch it because uh, it is a little heavy, but it's not as heavy as I remember in the no, sense that I had heard about it and I expected it to be much heavier than it is because this was the first time I'd seen it. Uh, yeah, if that wasn't clear from from this uh, review, <laughs> it's very very watchable. Yeah, and um, I think I'll be watching. I'm glad because now I'll probably watch it more in the future. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's that's going to do it for these two films. You know, happy holidays if you are celebrating. We've had another banner year here at The Real World. Uh, but, you know, lots, lots of good podcasting. I've had fun. We did Firefly, and, and we, we have our future plans of, of Blade in the near future, True Detective in the less near future, uh, Kevin Ford's Lost podcast, which is still not title confirmed, uh, will be coming in 2018. Uh, ben and myself will be doing... Uh, every film in the MCU starting uh, Wednesday 3rd of January and there'll be a new episode every Wednesday garbage trucks everywhere which is appropriate given all the garbage that comes out of our mouths sometimes but um, and America uh, social commentary <laughs> well from myself and maybe Mike I can't speak for Mike uh, you know have a have a good end of year to people yeah. I guess and watch films with your family have a good time 